Welcome back to Mostly Ghostly. I'm Matthew Fisher with my co-host Ray Booten. Howdy. Hey, howdy, Ray. How's it going over there? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. How about you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. You know, we're 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 uh, we're, we're practicing our social distancing again. So we're via phone call, uh, satellite dishes, and all that good stuff, keeping us. Uh, intertwined with each other during the big COVID-19 outbreak, you know. How's everything going over there? Good? Uh, holding down the fort. Things going well. Yeah. Cool, cool. You catching up on anything good or just typical stuff? Uh, typical, typical stuff. I'm, like I've said in the past, I'm retired, so not much changes. Yeah, no, I hear you. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. All right, so uh, like I said in the last episode, we're going to be doing a few episodes where we kind of pinpoint different areas of our state, which is Massachusetts, and, um, you know, kind of talk about the, the folklore, the, the hauntings of these areas. Uh, in this upcoming, we're going to talk about Central Mass in this episode. We got a little alien stuff in this one, which is nice, so it's getting all juiced out, you know what I mean? Uh, Mass is kind of a hot spot. I don't know if one of the locations uh, or stories you came up with includes uh, Purgatory Chasm, but that's a hot spot, Massachusetts. No, is that in Central? Uh, it's up near Wittensville, not that far from Uxbridge area. Okay. The um, what do you know about that one? Uh, the only thing I know is there's a long very long history of UFO sightings, so much so that at time you get people who gather up there at night to watch. Oh, okay. I mean, it's, it's very, very prevalent up there, and uh, I'm curious myself, even though I don't feel like sitting around all night waiting. Yeah. That'd be a cool show for us to do one of these, and it's, it's so consecutive that <clears throat> with sightings that you people go up there to watch it regularly, or do they see a lot, or is it just kind of a lot of hoping and dreaming that they'll see, some, see stuff? From the stories I've heard, there's hoping and dreaming, but uh, you do get some people who see stuff. It's just not its not consistent, but it's been that way for years and years. Yeah. I like it. It's a, uh, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll go on location for that one one of these days, you know? Well, I'm checking some sites out around here. I live in a haunted town, so uh, I've got multiple sites around here I'm still working on and checking out, trying to get the background on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. The um, all right, we'll, we'll we'll jump right into this real quick. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're uh, like I said, we're going to be dealing with uh, Central Massachusetts in this episode, and uh, yeah, you know, like the Worcester area and stuff like that, where uh, there's a lot of inexplicable phenomena going on in this area. Um, like before, we're gonna read a story of um, of the of this of of certain things that have happened in these places, and then we're gonna kind of uh, talk about it briefly to catch the uh, catch the feel. You know what I mean? Well, I used to uh, travel up to Worcester on a uh, actually up to Sutton, which is just on the south side of Worcester, mm -hmm. and the town just before that is uh, Wittensville, where the uh, Purgatory Chasm is, so it's in the general area. Yeah, um, Purgatory Chasm, is that, that was where the, the hill where people need to go look at the, the UFOs? 
Yep, same place. Yeah. Do you know? Any, is there anything? Else, any other paranormal stuff that goes on there? Ghostly, perhaps, or is it just kind of an alien hot hot spot or UFO hot I think spot? Alien hot spot. Yeah. Okay. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, aliens are uh, are almost a little ghostly, you know. It's uh, more unknown. Um, I think just about everything that's kind of unknown that gives people the, the, the hairs on their neck raised up is uh, good <laughs> topics for this show. Oh, yeah. You know, but uh, I'm going to hop into the first story here. Um, some of these stories are taken from the Haunted Massachusetts book, you know, by Sherry Ravey. So anybody interested in diving deeper into, you know, uh, Haunted Massachusetts, check out the books. I believe she does um, books for every every state, I believe, has a book, which is interesting enough. But let's kick it off with our first story, The Strange Mr. Snow. All right. Asa Snow was an eccentric man in 1840. He moved into a farmhouse at the crossroads between Dana and Pettersham, where he remained until his death 32 years later. According to those who knew him, he was a strange, as strange in life as he was in death. Snow's nickname was Popcorn, because he subsisted primarily on popcorn and milk. Sounds like me. I love popcorn. Um, <laughs> yeah. Pretty humble provisions for a man who presumably made a small fortune loan sharking. In August of 1844, Snow's first wife committed suicide by hanging herself with a strip of cloth from the dress she was wearing, and many locals blamed Snow for making the poor woman insane by his eccentric behavior. Snow buried her lovingly in an old cemetery across the brook from his house. I wonder what the difference between burying someone lovingly and just regular. I guess if you murder them and dump their body in a shallow grave, that's the unlovingly way of burying somebody. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Uh, in the following year, he had the sad task of burying his young daughter next to her. But their remains were disinterred in 1868 when Snow had them moved to an elaborate family tomb he'd built in the same graveyard. Now, you think that would cause an issue if they were, if they were moving him to a better place? Do you, you still think that that disturbance would cause issue? It might... Um... I'm not, I don't think that it should, since it's in the same graveyard. Yeah. There shouldn't be a problem there. You know, my only question is, if he had something to do with their death, uh, their death or his attitude towards them wasn't wholesome, mm. then moving them might disturb them. Interesting. Um, besides constructing a large tomb, Snow became obsessed with every last detail of his own eventual burial. He had a coffin maker build a strong metal casket for him with 10-inch glass window at the head end. This was not so his spirit could look out. It was so a hired undertaker could look in on him for seven days after his death just to make sure he was truly dead. When death finally came, it did so with an iconic twist. Snow was a vegetarian. Uh, I don't know there was vegetarians back then. But he died of heart failure while lugging a heavy pig carcass for others to enjoy up the front steps of his house on Thanksgiving Day, 1872. So I, I guess pig was a big was was before the turkey era. I guess I don't know. Uh, turkey would have been original 
I think pig may have been convenient at that time. Interesting. Uh, Snow's second wife, perhaps wanting to be certain her impossible to live with husband wasn't coming back, told the undertaker Snow had hired that three days was quite a long was quite long enough to check on her husband's casket, shortchanging Snow four of the days he had been promised by the undertaker. It didn't take long for curiosity seekers to break into the tomb to see uh, if the rumors about the man with the window in his casket was true. Um, he had popcorn in the in the in the cushions were true. Interesting. He had popcorn put in the cushions of his <laughs> casket. So that's a man who's definitely got a love for the old popped corn. I wonder if he would what he would have later been a big film fanatic. He might, a big fan of uh, Insomniac. I heard. For forty years, Snow's remains had stayed intact. In fact, the condition of his body was remarkably unchanged. No doubt thrilling the many brave onlookers who were uh, ventured into the tomb, but also creating even more rumors regarding the man named Popcorn. This time the rumors were not about his strange life, but about his strange spirit. One tale was that Snow's ghost left the tomb every November 15th. There's no expression, uh, there's no explanation for that date. Uh, to visit his wife's grave nearby. Another was about a man from Boston who was dared to visit the tomb on that night and leave a jug of whiskey on top of the snow's casket. As proof, he had been there. The man accepted the challenge for $10, tied his horse outside of the tomb, and when shortly after uh, entering, he heard his horse go berserk. He hustled outside. But the horse was already miles down the road, obviously traumatized the next day when the shaken man brought his challenger to the tomb to prove that he had been there. The bottle of whiskey had left there was a, and was smashed to pieces. This left no doubt in either man's mind that snow had indeed haunted the area in the previous night, just as the legend said. With all the tales going around, it was just a matter of time before some disrespectful Trespasser smashed in the glass on Snow's casket, and after this, decay set in rapidly. Town of Pet uh, Petersham officials had the tomb immediately sealed back up securely, but in 1944, it was once again disturbed. Uh, the Metropolitan Water Commission relocated all of the graves in that cemetery to the Quabbin Park Cemetery in Weir before flooding four towns, including Dana, to create a massive Quibbin Reservoir. Not only was the tomb uh, that Snow had put so much thought into destroyed in the move, but his home was leveled, as were those of everyone in the four lost communities. There had been a lot of unhappy campers, both living and dead, as a result, none of least of whom was Popcorn Snow. So that's an interesting take on that whole deal. Um, I'm not completely sold on smashed bottles and stuff like that because I feel, um, you know, I feel like that could have been, you know, kids being crazy. It could have been maybe someone that was just like a homeless drunk that was living in the cemetery. If you get a tomb, I assume a tomb would be a great place for someone that might not have a home because you go in there, you get your peace and quiet and you're sheltered. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I agree with you. I mean, if the guy runs out of there scared and the rest of the night, he's not there. Anybody could have walked in, including someone who uh, 
may have seen them going in, go in, and then they're hiding in the shadows. And when they leave, they see the whiskey and break it on purpose. Yeah, it could very just think, yeah, they're thinking to themselves, yeah, wait till he comes back and sees this. Also, take into consideration that the people that made the bet with him could actually have been the people messing with him. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, definitely. Like, like friends, like that's something I'd do to a friend. You know what I mean? And it, <laughs> and, and it never said anything about Mister Snow enjoying whiskey. So the fact that whiskey was brought up almost makes me feel like the culprits themselves like their drink for it to be that important to go bring it. Um, and it's quite possible that they were all party people. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And when you're when you're drunk and you're scared. Uh, You'd be, you know, a lot of things will run through your mind and you can, I wouldn't be surprised if he was easily tricked, you know what I mean? I agree. Yeah. All right, our next story is called The Q-Files of Quaban Reservoir. So I guess this, the whole Quaban Reservoir dives even deeper other than Mr. Snow's story. But... In uh, 1939, the Swift River Valley was flooded by the Metropolitan Water Commission to create the Quabine Reservoir, uh, which would provide fresh water to the Boston area, 100 miles to the west. The mountaintops became islands in a few years' time. As you can imagine, the residents of the towns and villages that were displaced were not happy, forced out of their homes. Uh, they were offered measly compensation for their losses and required to relocate. Houses, churches, and businesses were leveled. Graves were dug up and transferred to the Quabbin Park Cemetery built specifically for the dead from the four lost towns, Dana, Enfield, Greenwich, and Prescott. Uh, the only graves left untouched were those known to be the old Native American burial grounds, which is nice because usually they tear them up. The decision makers chose not to disturb the dead from such consecrated locations. Uh, did they think it might upset Native American spirits, but not those of their white brothers? Uh, they thought wrong. Even though the Indian burial grounds were undisturbed, a whole lot of other equal, equally sacred grounds and non-natives were violent, violated. And now Quabbin Reservoir is a paranormal hotspot that some equate to the enormous spirit portal. A doorway to another dimension. Uh, plenty, which I know we've talked about that before. Uh, the spirit portals. When we were at that that Whitman Cemetery, I think you you got a feeling like there might have been one there on top of the hill. Do you remember that? Uh, yes, it's on the top of that hill there. Before there was a cemetery, or maybe at the beginning stages, I believe that there were ceremonies that were done there. Yeah, and uh, that opened something up. Definitely, I could I could feel it and. Uh, it was it was not happy, yeah. and it wasn't a comfortable spot. Yeah. Um, plenty of ghost stories originate from the 200-square-mile watershed encompassing the reservoir, including the tale of popcorn snow, which we just read about, and numerous reports of ghost lights behaving erratically near or on the water. But other inexplicable things have been there, uh, seen there as well. So many, in fact, that the reservoir could easily keep a catalog of its own oddities and call it the Q-Files. Large crocodiles were sighted in 1922. Small crocs were actually captured more recently. Reports of cougars or giant cats, which are supposedly extinct in the Bay State. Uh, number into the hundreds. Several UFOs have been sighted in and around the reservoir. According to one UFO sighting database, uh, the P-1 
Petersham man standing on the eastern shore of the reservoir in April 1996 spotted three FOs covering the water. He reported, I saw them moving in a circular, sweeping uh, sort of motion. They made no noise and produced only a bright, brightened light that seemed to silhouette them against the sky. The objects were moving at what would say it was 30 miles per hour in a north-south rotation, switching directions in the air. I watched them for about five minutes until the object zipped over the hills of the west. Now this kind of... The thing about the, the, the large crocodiles kind of reminds me a little bit of Hockamock Swamp, which is over in the Bridgewater Triangle area, uh, where yep. they, they speak a lot of, you know, large animals and reptiles. Like, they have big um, big anaconda snakes that are supposedly in there, the, sim- the size of, like, um, um, like big old stovepipes, uh, you know, like those big, big stovepipe things. And, you know, of course, they have their, their UFO sightings, or uh, there's no... There's no lack of stories from that. Real quick, what how, what do you think of ghost lights? Uh, I think that's a possibility. I think that when they flooded it, yeah. all of that land had uh, a rich history. Mm. And even in leaving the Native American graves there, the same time they flooded and co- covered it up. So it's kind of, to me, that's semi-disturbed. You didn't actually disturb the grave, but you did change the landscape, the nature of it. Now, if you have, I imagine there probably was some businesses. Um, if you're looking at towns, there had been some deaths. Uh, there were the cemeteries. The bodies didn't like being moved. The whole history of the town. That makes it pretty much of a hot spot when you change the very nature of it and submerge it all. All of that history that's stored there, all of that energy that's stored there is released through the water. Mm. And that can, as it accumulates, and particularly since there might be so much of it with multiple towns and the history, uh, you can get to opening that portal. And that energy of that portal might be what draws the UFOs. True. Now, the ghost light, what is that? Just like a light that you think forms out, comes out of the water? Or just like a like a beam of light that goes up into the air. Uh, from what I know, think more of like a ball of light that moves. Okay, yeah, I know there's a lot of that. There was a there was a an orb like that that floated around the old Raynham Taunton dog track. That was a famous one. Again, in the Bridgewater Triangle, over by us, over by me, rather. Um, um, ghosts, aliens, and strange animals living outside of their natural habitat. That's got Bridgewater Triangle written all over it. It's hard to yep. sort, yeah. It's hard to sort out fact from fiction when so many bizarre stories come from just one location. But knowing there are four underwater towns that once bustled with activity, and seeing the, uh, the remnants of those ghost towns when you look beneath the glassy surface makes it all seem more believable. Uh, the truth is out there somewhere. If not in the night sky, then in the depths of the Quaban Reservoir. Just pray it doesn't reach up from its watery grave and pull you in. Yeah, I feel like if people were there, when that flooding happened and killed a lot of people, it'd be, you know, it'd be more haunted, I'm sure. But if you could look into the water and actually see buildings and stuff, that would be really kind of cool to go check out. That would be. The water could also be a conduit for the energy and the spirits uh-huh. to use. Yeah. So it kind of magnifies the energy that's left there and uh, everything that happened. 
And if you go back to the potential of a portal, that's what, uh, if you're talking about the UFOs, they could actually use it to come through. Maybe that's why they, they, they filled it in with water. Maybe there was like crazy stuff happening there. You know, dark sh- shite that was going on there before and they figured, hey, what's the best way to kind of keep this under under wraps? Well, underwater. And then they yeah. flood it out thinking that that would be the end of it. But little do they know, it will outlast all of them. Yep. You know? I can see that. The um, next up is we have... New England's Day of Darkness. Yikes. Um, The darkness brought on by the eclipse of May 29th, 1780, was nothing compared with the darkness that befell the eastern seaboard ten days earlier. On that curious morning, New England residents awoke to a bright, sunny day, but on the western horizon, a heavy haze filled the sky in a thick cloud of moving uh, moving quickly toward the northeast. By one in the afternoon, it had become so dark over the entire state of Massachusetts that visibility was a mere several inches. Uh, panic set in as residents became certain that Judgment Day was upon them. Schools were demissed in central Massachusetts and probably elsewhere, uh, and lanterns and candles were lit, uh, lit along the streets in every home, their flames outlined by a curious green aura. Farm animals could sense something unusual going on and behaved unpredictably. People gathered in churches seeking last-minute forgiveness for their sins and praying mightily. Maybe their prayers saved them because a blood-red full moon finally emerged from the darkness High in the sky at one in the morning, twinkling stars quickly followed, and by dawn, the sun was bright as it had been 24 hours before. The 14 hours of darkness that fell over New England has never been explained. Now, that kind of reminds me a little bit of a movie called The Fog, a John Carpenter film. Have you ever seen yep. Yeah, where it moves in, and I think that was a kind of a New England town. But what do you, what's your take on that story? You just think it's just... You know, it came from a time where nobody really knew the science of weather and stuff, and it could have just, it could just be, you know, I don't know, like uh, some weird thing where the, you know, water didn't evaporate, but kind of, you know, how we get fog. Because you got to figure back in the day, you know, we'll get like we've had even in our lifetimes we've seen days that have been incredibly foggy, and you can't, you almost can't see your hand in front of you. And I think it might just be kind of weather acting up uh, instead of like a supernatural thing. What's your thoughts on that? I would say at the time, not understanding uh, the science behind it. Yeah. I mean, they, they would be familiar with fog, but if you have an extreme circumstance, mm-hmm. uh, low cloud cover, ground fog to the extreme, then and the people, well, if you're talking the 1700s, the people who had settled there, um, yeah, they would, they would turn around and immediately see it as supernatural or being cursed because they, to them, they were still in a foreign land. They were still settling it. They may blame Native Americans. Um, yeah, I can see where, what we might be able to explain later on as a, um, scientific fact or an unusual coming together of certain weather conditions. They would just freak out. Yeah. That it would just be just be freaking out. They couldn't understand at all. Yeah, the um, fog is a creepy thing. You know what I mean? When you don't, especially when you don't quite know what exactly it is, it's just kind of cruising up on you. 
Yep. Um, it's funny in that in John Carpenter's The Fog, uh, it's, it brings in pirates, which I think that's actually based off of an actual thing. Um, of the of like a folklore of like a small town that I think the whole story of that is there's pirates that were coming in with with gold on their ship and um, the townspeople knew about it so they didn't they like didn't they didn't uh, direct them with the life the, the the lighthouse didn't really didn't flicker for them so they crashed and then the people went out there and stole all their gold so because of that. Um, you know, the, you know, they 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 haunted the town. They came in in the, in the fog and they killed everybody. You know, um, you know, th- fog is a a thick cloud of <laughs> tiny water droplets suspended in the atmosphere, at or near the Earth's surface, which obscures or restricts visibility to the greater extent than mist, strictly reducing visibility to below one kilometer. So, a little history lesson for people out there. Little science <laughs> lesson, real quick. But yeah, it's yeah, and like I like we were saying, I think it's just you know in that time in you know 1780, you know what I mean. Um, I, I think that fog they probably dealt with some fog, but they probably just got a bad case of it and it blew their mind apart. You know, in the seven, 1780 was that around the time they were doing a lot of like worship of uh, moon worshiping and stuff like that, and sun worship. Uh, 1780, you still had a lot of what I would call the pilgrim type, uh, immigration. Yeah. And anything unusual. Nature was looked at as dark. Nature mm. was looked at as corrupt mm. quite often. Interesting. And they would blame it a lot. And once you have that unusual event and that twist is put on it, then it becomes part of initially an oral tradition, but it starts getting told down, told, and passed down from that area. And like most legends, as it's told over and over again, it just grows and grows. It becomes more ominous. Mm. And it, it simply could have been a freak weather phenomenon. Yeah. And I think like with the pilgrims killing off, uh, you know, the Native Americans, there had to have been some type of guilt about it because they knew, as, you know, human nature, you know that you shouldn't be killing the, the, the majority, the level-headed people know that you shouldn't just be killing off a race of people because you want what they have or whatever, you know what I mean? So, like, I feel like, and with Native Americans being so spiritual and, you know, with Mother Nature and one with the Earth and stuff, I would almost feel like they'd be, that, they, that would be prime time for fear against suns and moons and weather because they might feel like they're being attacked for what they did, you know what I mean? Uh, I I agree. They think it's payback time, and now they're scared. Yeah. Well, what can you do? All right, next step up. The Andreessen Alien Encounter. Uh, A famous case of alien abduction happened to one of Massachusetts' own Mrs. Betty Andreessen. Luca, uh, then of South Ashburn, Ham. It was a cold winter's night in 1967 when the Andreessen home was plunged into darkness just after dinner time. Betty was in the kitchen and noticed a reddish light shining in through the kitchen window. While she calmed her seven young children, understandably frightened, her father went right up to the window to see what was casting the strange glow. That was when he saw them. And when I mean them, I mean them aliens, motherfucker. It was an encounter of the first kind. 
when a UFO is in close proximity of the experiencer. And the third kind is when aliens are visible. Within the next several hours, the family experienced all five known classifications of encounters. Before Betty's stunned father could even divert his gaze from the surreal scene in the yard, the grayish-blue beings that were hopping toward the house seconds before had floated inside, right through a wooden door, and the entire family was immediately put into a state of suspended animation. Paralysis to humans is one of the criteria of encounters for the second kind. Later, under hypnosis, Betty described the beings as only about four feet tall. Their heads were large in proportion to their slight bodies, and their eyes were large, black, and emotionless. I know some people like that. Uh, their, <laughs> their ears, noses, and mouths were very delicate. In fact, their mouths were mere slits. One of five aliens telepathically communicated with Betty, uh, she encountered with the fifth kind and assumed, assured her that the children would be fine in their trance-like state. Betty was then taken out of the UFO um, and was returned to her home four hours later, unaware of what had happened to her during those lost hours. Eight years later, yeah, eight years later, J. Allen Hynek advertised that he was seeking true abduction stories from the general public. Betty responded, remembering the red light through the window and the aliens entering her house, as did her father. But that was all they remembered because of the large response to the ad. Betty's letter got overlooked and set on the back burner until two years later when the doctor finally assigned a team to investigate the address and case. It included electronics, aerospace engineers, a solar physicist, a telecommunications specialist, a hypnotist, a medical doctor, and a psychiatrist, and a UFO investigator. The investigation, which included extensive background and character reference checks, several lie detector tests, and 14 lengthy and detailed hypnotic regressions, included, concluded that nobody involved was fabricating the story. Betty Anderson and her family were found to be the uh, sane individuals who had no motive to lie. Under many grueling hours of hypnosis, grueling for both hypnotist and subject, Betty was astonished as anyone to learn that she's been abducted several times since childhood. Each time she'd been taken aboard the alien craft and physically examined. Uh, her alien abductions erased her abduction memories using hypnosis until the night the right time came to recall her ordeal. She's been subjected to nasal implants and robotic examinations, but the aliens were never intentionally cruel. In fact, they often reassured her when, they, when she became distressed. She was taken to an alien world where she was shown a series of symbols, such as a phoenix that rose from the ashes and morphed into a giant gray worm. Now, that sounds horrifying. Such unusual recollections caused a few skeptics to suggest that Betty's experiences were hallucinatory, but she maintains that they were a message from spirit, from God, or the One, as the aliens called him. She had experienced similar to religious ecstasy during her abductions and displayed the same ecstasy during hypnosis. Some wondered if she was actually having religious experiences rather than true alien encounters, but who's to say the two can't sometimes be related? The bottom line is that Betty Anderson abductions were special. In fact, her abductors had told her since she was a child that she was special and would carry a special message to share with the world. 
The message was that mankind was on a dangerous course, and unconditional love was required to gain knowledge through spirit. A year after the investigation began, a 528-page report was issued on the Anderson Encounter, and it became one of the most well-known, documented, and convincing cases in the field of ufology. See, that was a that was a chunky good one. I like that story. What do you what do you take on that one? Uh, it's got a lot of interesting elements to it, yeah. and a lot of possibilities in there. Mm-hmm. It's it's. Um, I like how they you know they all all five all five types of encounters were were, were done. I've heard. I think they made a movie about this with um, Charlize Theron. I think called the Fourth Kind, which was interesting. You ever see that movie? No, I don't think so. It was interesting flick. There was about abductions and like um, uh, the people kept saying that they seen owls, but like the owl was kind of like the face of a UFO type thing. Like an alien, it was it was very creepy. It was like not a horror movie, but it was like very creepy because of the subject matter type deal. Um, yeah, I like that story. That was pretty good. Um, it's believable. I'd like to go check out the area and stuff. That'd be cool. Um, the one. Do you think that the what you don't think you think God? A lot of people will argue. You know, if there's if there's such thing as UFO life. Um, that God can't be real, which is kind of, uh, you know, it's a weird argument. I guess you could kind of take it at both degrees because aliens aren't in the Bible, or maybe they are. Um, it's quite possible they are with, um, you know, different... I know people that actually think aliens are God. Um, what's your take on that whole deal? Well, I think that, I mean, we know uh, there are literally billions of galaxies yeah and i think it's human ego when they think that um only they have the answer mm-hmm. or they have the right interpretation yeah and i do believe that yes there is one behind all of creation and we use the word god yeah uh sometimes the word creator mm-hmm. um but who is to say that if a ship landed publicly and an alien stepped off and wanted to greet us. They come from the same creator. Mm. Maybe another part of another galaxy, another dimension, but all from the same creator. They may have a different name, may not use God, they may not look like us, but when we look at them, I challenge people to say, when you're looking at them, you are looking at another child of God. Maybe not in a form you, re- you recognize. Maybe with, uh, a, obviously with a different background from a different area. But that's not to say that they aren't just like you in their essence or in if what we term soul. Since you have an entire universe created by one God, one creator, any life form in there also carries that divine DNA, so to speak. It's also a child of that God. And we have to get over our own self-importance, and we have to be able to recognize that if we should encounter that. Yeah. Yeah, it's usually, it's interesting. That it's You know, whenever there's abductions and there's a message to be spread from a UFO uh, or an alien to a human, 
they always bring up the fact that we're on a dangerous course, you know what I mean? And that love, like we got to love each other. And uh, you think that's just kind of like the spirit? Because, I mean, I think deep down in everybody's spirit, they know that, you know, love will conquer. And that, yeah, we are headed in a weird, we, we are headed in kind of a dark place. So, I mean, look at us right now where, like, everybody's in a really dark place with, with COVID-19 floating around and stuff. And the world, uh, I don't know if I'd say it keeps getting worse and worse and worse, but we keep finding ourselves in these weird situations that are definitely um, a problem for humanity, you know what I mean? Well, if you're, if you're talking about a message, yeah. um, it could be that they're saying, listen, been there, done that, don't keep going down the path you're going. You you know what it'll take. Stop where you are now mm-hmm. and don't keep going, don't keep spiraling down. It could be a message, could be as simple as that. I've heard the theory of that people think that UFOs are really just uh, humans in like a more progressive future. You know what I mean? And they come back to tell the people, you know, that they need to get their shit together, which almost makes sense in a way if you could figure out if these if the UFO body was really just an alien body was really just something like a vessel that was created to withstand space travel or maybe even, you know, uh, jumping from times, you know what I mean? Like time travel. And that it was there. The subconscious is kind of like a, a computer thing. Where back wherever humanity is has gone to, they can kind of communicate through the aliens in a way. You know what I mean? And they're just it's almost like you know the you know when when you know there there's been cartoons and movies forever about how like taking Pacific Rim. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's pretty much like these big robots that kind of fight it out and do 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 the do the the you know the the work of uh you know humans but humans are kind of in a matrix like they can be inside the robot but also like i feel almost like they're sitting in a chair matrix style where something's hooked into their brain and these organ these other organisms are kind of moving the way they would speaking or communicating um, through them, but they don't actually have to be there. But instead of just like an orb that pops up and just like, you know, you communicate with that, it's these creature type things, which whenever they're, whatever, they're always sound so creepy. Like you'd think that they would have a, a more welcoming feel than like dead fish. You know what I mean? <laughs> you'd, you'd think well, that, at least. Yeah. That, that's from our point of view. Yeah, true. I guess so. But that's if, like, that was with the whole theory of what if, what if these visitations were really from future humans that were coming, sending things back that weren't exactly them, but vessels for them to send their message through. You know what I mean? Well, that then you get into uh, the whole thing about the time paradox. That thing where, um, well, it, you know, let's say someone goes back and kills Hitler before he takes over Germany. Then the war doesn't happen. Then all these people don't meet. Then all these people aren't born. Then that person who went back, their great-grandparents, for instance, Mm -hmm. uh, may not have been born, so how can they go back? Maybe if we are looking at a message being sent back, um, they knew in the future that uh, that message had to be delivered because that's how they survived. 
So they're actually fulfilling history by coming back and warning, and they are part of the change that saves humanity. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, the, the UFO whole thing is really interesting. You know, it could be anything. It could actually be another species uh, from distant, you know, distant space. It could be time travel situation. You know, it's it's really interesting stuff. All right, our next story up here is the the possession of Maurice Theriwalt. Uh, all cases of demonic possession, here we go, all p- cases of demonic possessions are bizarre and un- unnerving. Demons make people do the unthinkable. Thankfully, such incidents are relatively rare in most towns, ta- well, here at least. Other countries, it's very prominent, right? Possessions yep. of demons. Like going back to the, the whole gin thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, most towns will never bear witness to a possessed member of their own community, but the town of Warren did. Uh, the story made news nationwide and is, is the subject of a book called Satan's Harvest by reporters Michael LaSalandra and Mark Miranda. The only thing worse than Maurice Thierabold's childhood was the condition it left him in as an adult. His father uh, purportedly practiced devil worship and forced his perverse transgressions on his son at an early age. To make matters worse, Maurice was pulled out of school and never obtained more than a third grade education. One fateful day, Maurice's father confessed to his wife that he and Maurice were both possessed before killing her. Then he shot himself in the mouth. Yikes. Maurice was left to bear the burden of what he had witnessed. Yikes. And the same sad legacy. Like his father, the young Theribolt began to display signs and symptoms of demonic possession, and he underwent several unsuccessful exorcisms. The second exorcism performed on Maurice Theribolt, uh, which was recorded on a home videotape in 1985. I would love to see that videotape. Showed, oh, yeah. showed the unspeakable torment the man endured in the later days of his life. The tape has been shown to scores of incredulous viewers throughout the world as a modern-day example of demonic possession. Many believe it offers undisputable proof of a truly possessed man, but others, even after viewing the sensational tape, believe that Theobald suffered from a combination of mental and physical conditions undoubtedly exuberated by the horrific childhood experiences. In the tape, Theriwold's eyes are already pooling with blood when the actual exorcism begins. The video shows the agonized man's face contorting as the skin splits open on his forehead. Boils appear under his skin while the priest speaks in Latin and bloody drool drips down his chin, staining his white shirt. At one point, he is instructed to blink several times before his gazed-over eyes remain open for at least three minutes straight. During that time, some say his eyes appear serpent-like, with slits for pupils like a snake or cat. When asked questions by the priest performing the exorcism, Therwell answers in backward Latin. Um, an unbelievable feat for a man who, at best, spoke only broken English. Then his eyes rolled back in his head. It was a five-star performance by a poor, uneducated tomato farmer, 
but he was no actor, and there was no happy ending to this story. Following his father's footsteps, Maurice Theroux eventually took his own life, leaving an inquiring public to decide how much of his story was fact and how much, if any, was fabricated. See, that's a very dark story. Um, I'm very... it's interesting to know that even happened ma- happened in Massachusetts, and I've never heard of that. That's quite crazy, you know what I mean? Yep. But uh, to go with it, it's like it, we both believe in possession, how that's a reality. Um, it's kind of sad that, you know, the father kind of put that on him, you know what I mean? It's just more, you know, bad parenting <laughs> at 101, um, kind of as bad as it gets in a way. Um, I remember listening to a podcast, a radio show, I think it was an Art Bell um, radio show talking about possession and it was talking about, there was a lady that was a Satanist and she said that, you know, when when she dies, she's going to go to hell to be with the devil and she said when my daughter dies, she's going to go to hell to be with the devil too and they said, well, you know, if she doesn't believe, if she's not like you and she doesn't believe you know, in that and like wanting to go there, is she still going to have to go? And the lady said, well, she has to go because I already like sacrificed her life and gave it over to Satan, which is pretty crazy uh, in itself. Uh, first of all, do you think the parent would have, being the parent would have the power over that child to give its life up to the devil? Uh, once a child reaches an adult and has free will, no. I think the child can break that. Yeah. But they they would have to be aware of it mm-hmm. and purposely break it. Yeah. Uh, which is basically a curse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy how parent there there there's parents out there that are so messed up that would do something like that. You know what I mean? There's also a belief in generational curses, um, and that is that patterns and curses carry down through generations until a generation decides to break that curse. Yeah. And they. Change, change the course, um, stop the curse right there. And it's always up to the individual. They do have the ability to make that change, whether they're the one or whether they've inherited it or not. No matter what they've been pledged to and or curse, they can still make the change. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that this, this kid's situation was true. Um, you know, there's a lot of trauma that he had to deal with, which I think adds to it. I think you'd agree that would add to the whole negative vibe of everything. You know what I mean? Um, there are many cultures. Um, what nowadays we we some people may call primitive cultures mm-hmm. or Aboriginal cultures that believe when there is trauma, when the child is very young, their psyche doesn't completely form; mm-hmm. it stays. Let's say open, mm-hmm. it never heals completely, and they're subject very easily subject to um, other psychic or other spiritual forces, um, and without training, are easier to control. Then again, with training, they have more of an uh, power, shall we say, yeah. than uh, people who have not gone through that trauma. But that early trauma in a lot of areas, they believe, opens someone up to the potential to be susceptible, whether it be evil or other forces. Yeah. Yeah, they, um, 
for the people that thought that it was kind of a mental and physical condition, which, you know, I could, to a degree, I can kind of say, what you know, through anger, you know what I mean? I could, if somebody was over agitated and very angry, I've seen people to the point of anger where they're foaming at the mouth and shit like that, you know what I mean? And just cursing it out and being crazy. I can see that. But when you dive into situations with skin splitting, um, you know, the blood dripping out of them and stuff like that, I think that's kind of a cause, uh, cause for alarm. Um, speaking, um, what was it, reverse Latin? Um, if, you know, if, if, if that was proven to be actual reverse Latin and not gibberish, I think that right there could tell you, yeah, something's definitely up here that isn't some dude just having a bad day, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, I agree. All of those, all of those symptoms say there's more than just someone being, like you said, having a bad day. Yeah, I've never heard of serpent-like eyes during a possession. Have you heard of that? Uh, no, I've heard of eyes changing. Um, I haven't like, heard actual serpent-like. Like color, or uh, the degree of whiteness or hmm. black. Um, I haven't done a lot of research on it. Yeah. That's definitely some crazy stuff. Um, yeah, he went, later went on to kill himself, which was sad. Uh, you know, that's either uh, it's probably darkness. You know, you, you grow up. That kid's life, unfortunately, was you know traumatized. It was a, uh, it was you know, it was one of those tragic stories you hear about. You know, just children that grow up and shit like. You know, that's kind yeah. of one of the most unfortunate things about life is, you know, there's these kids out there that, you know, no fault of their own, just happen to be just given a terrible hand at life. And that's like the worst thing in the world. And I think he was like one of those situations where he was just born into, you know, a terrible situation and it haunted him, it traumatized him and it stuck with him. Um, throughout his whole life and you know I do believe that bad things can get burned into your brain and at that point they're incredibly difficult to get out of there you know what I mean but you know yeah you know that every everything that his father did it just bur it's burned into your brain and you just can't escape it I mean you got to really figure out a real path to healing if you're gonna get to get to work your way out of that hole that you were put in, you know what I mean? And I can sadly, you know, it's a lot to work through. And he, 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 he I guess at the end, he, he kind of couldn't, couldn't make his way through it, which is tragic. It's not saying anything bad about him or that he was weak or anything. I think he was just battling a lot of bad things, you know, and it's unfortunate because I don't think any of it was his own doing or his own fault. I think it was just that his parent being his father, even, not so much the mother. The mother was killed, which is darkness. Killed in front of him. I mean, you take a situation just like that, where the fa the father kills the mother in front of them, and then shoots himself in the head. That's pretty. That's pretty. That's pretty dark. It, it's you know, and I'm sure it, it wasn't just one day. The father woke up and said, "Today's the day." I'm sure that father was a demon for a long time as a person. You know what I mean? I'm sure it was no picnic. Um, it was just bad news, and I'd be curious to hear like what that father's upcoming upbringing was like, and what what happened to him as a kid that would make make him so messed up like that, you know? Yeah, I mean, like I I said, the the generational curses may yeah. have come into play there, 
But I think that without the proper support, and it may not have been available at the time, uh, and that's that proper support is different with everybody. For that child to be able to overcome that and avoid that outcome, which in this case was suicide, probably was not there for them to understand. It might have been just something too, something insurmountable for them to get over, being so intense for so long. Yeah. Yeah, it's dark. That was the darkest story yet. That's probably the darkest story in the whole book we'll, we'll, we'll gather. But poor Maurice, rest in peace, Maurice. Um, Moving on to the next story, we'll go. We'll go into the next story. Hopefully, it's a, it's called the Ghost Mill, so it'll probably it'll have a better vibe at least. It won't be so depressing. Um, in 1825, during the birth of the Industrial Revolution in America, Robert Rogerson built the Crown Mill in the town of North Uxbridge. At one time, roughly 200 men and women labored under the grandfatherly eye of Rogerson who was a fair and selfless boss, but in 1840, Rogerson went bankrupt and was forced to sell the mill, leaving the same employees in the hands of the greedy new owners, who had no concern for their laborers. For 83 years, the textile mill continued to operate in spite of the increasingly despair felt by the hardworking employees. It finally closed in 1923 and stood vacant and untouched until a fire destroyed it in 1974. In the midst of efforts to have the mill purchased and preserved as a historic site in a proposed state park in Blackstone Valley. Uh, the mill had been reported to be haunted even before the fire. People had seen sad, gaunt faces in upper windows and watched apparitions of mill workers come and go through the main entrance as if continuing with their daily routine. Many locals felt strange sensations while passing by the mill grounds, as though they were being watched from the numerous windows in the abandoned structure. But the most perplexing phenomenon occurred in the wake of the fire. Even though the mill no longer stands, it is best known to appear solidly before people, hence its nickname, the Ghost Mill. One man, as reported in Charles Turek Robinson's New England Ghost Files, came upon the mill while out for a walk in 1975, a year after it burned down. He knew nothing of the mill or its history, but it looked interesting, and he couldn't resist the temptation to get a closer look. Once inside, he noted that the structure seemed sound, but it was too dark to explore, so he headed for the door. On his way out, he was attacked by a man wielding a long piece of wood. He ducked to miss the swing, and when he looked back up, his faceless intruder was gone. He quickly left and reported the incident to the police. That was when his day got even weirder. The police informed him that the mill he spoke of had burned down the year before. They must have thought they had a real live one there. The man returned to the site and was disappointed to discover that the mill was, indeed, nowhere to be found. Just as the police said, he might have left better knowing that he wasn't the only one who came upon the ghost mill. Others had been seen, seen the mill still standing in months later after it burned down as well. Uh, luckily for them, they resisted the urge to enter the apparitional building and thus saved themselves from being accosted by a club-wielding phantom. Yeah. Uh, if it wasn't for the, the, the mill no longer being there, I'd say that, that he was attacked by a homeless person. 
But the fact that the building was no longer there was interesting. I think in, in the eight types of ghosts, we kind of talked a little bit about, um, I think, you know, the build, buildings that are no longer there and things that are no longer there that, that you know, you see. You know, the, un, the un, unknow, unknowing eye. Because, you know, you go into it. My whole take on ghosts, really, I've said this before, is if you're looking for it, I don't think it'll show itself to you. I think it's more one of those things where you kind of aren't expecting you have your guard down and you just kind of randomly see something. And then you're like, huh, well, that was interesting. You know what I mean? Well, when your guard is down, that's when you're open. That's when you can see it or something can reach out to you. Yeah. If if you're talking about a mill and you're talking about, um, let's say, 1800s, the working conditions Mm -hmm. would be horrendous. No regard for human safety, uh, probably child labor. Um, anybody who didn't live up to standards probably caught a beating. Mm. Um, there most likely injuries and death associated around the mills mm. from that, from that period of time. And if you get a long history of that going on and a long history of, um, the frustration, um, the hard life, everything that happened there, yeah. um, all that energy just accumulated in that mill, in that area. And just because you remove the building doesn't re- mean you remove all of the, the spirits or the energy there. It's There's a good chance some of it is still there. And if you are open, and that is when you're unaware and you're focused on something else and relaxed, is when you're open, you may see the mill. You may interact with somebody. That's to me is a very real possibility. Yeah, I mean, there's even when that when they when the, when the mill first transferred hands into those into kind of like bad bad management, I feel like the hatred that those people would have within their hearts would 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 kick off that bad energy. You know what I mean? It could kick it off. It also depends. <laughs> a lot of things depends. What is the uh, composition of the ground? Mm-hmm as far as uh, what sort of rock composition and what was the building made out of. And there were certain cultures, I believe, uh, Native American also, that the stones hold the history of what happens. I mean, was it built on a bedrock? Was it built on a stone foundation that actually would hold the history of what what went on there? I also know that in a lot of parts of uh, New England, and I've seen it while out exploring. There are a lot of uh, quartz veins and a lot of the quartz out there, which is also lends itself to activity and retains energy. So with the history of it, everything that happened there and not knowing what it's built on or what's around it, um, that door could be wide open. Even to add to that thing I was saying about the hatred, imagine how, magnified that hatred would be hating the people and then find then dying and realizing that your life was just you just lost your life the most precious thing in the world working for somebody you hated and for no reason at all you know what i mean that that's a reason to be kind of trapped in a loop and trapped there in yeah. that hate and that anger not letting go because it was, nothing was ever resolved yeah you just you were in that state of anger and that's how you died in that place that you hated working yeah yeah it's 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 crazy it's um there's a lot of uh, the bridgewater triangle has also has a uh, has a, a factory 
the kind that there was a fire at that that was haunted. I remember I went to this factory once when I was um, what was I doing? I was doing some type of weird. It was construction. I was working construction back in the day out of school, and I wish I could remember where this building was because we went in there. Um, we went in there to fix it up a little bit, and it was shut down for a while. And I got the weirdest vibe just walking through that place and just like, you know, lights didn't work in it. So you had, you had like the string of lights that would kind of, you know, go to where you needed to go with the little hanging light and stuff like that. And it just, it's such a bad vibe, but it was weird. It was like in the middle of nowhere. It was like in the middle of a slum, like a ghetto type area of just, it was, you know, it was kind of the only building around it, and it was just kind of like dumpy houses near it. No offense to the people that owned it, but like it was just kind of had that weird put in the middle of nowhere type look, almost like that that factory was there before these houses, and the factory shut down, and the land was bought, and they put houses up there, and the factory was just never taken down. Um, but yeah, like I, it's a lot of these old factories have that bad vibes to it because you know back in the day where safety was not an important thing you know getting things done quick was the important thing you know what I mean Um, and a lot of people lost their lives they lost you know body parts lost their sanity you know what I mean you know we're also going back to a time when managers and bosses and all that could literally do whatever they wanted to do because they were the boss and they could work you into the grave or they could they could they could make female workers perform you know sexual acts and, and if you don't like it get the fuck out of here type deal you know what I mean like a lot of bad stuff happened in those places um you know, deaths, there, there's deaths that probably weren't even accounted for, you know what I mean? People, they don't want to, somebody dies, if they don't get family or whatever, they're not going to go, they're not going to say, hey, you know, let's let's report this so we look bad, we have a stigma around us because somebody just died at our plant, let's just bury them, no one's going to talk about them. Kind of <coughs> has that mental hospital feel to it where, you know, my take on, we, we're going to do an episode in the future where we talk about there was a Hansen tuberculosis and mental hospital that's kind of big folklore around my area has come and they tore it down. Um, but like growing up in my teenage years, it was a big deal. And um, I, we went in there and that place, we, we caught stuff on like the camera and stuff. I've told you about it. And that whole thing is like, I think that's haunted because, you know, you've got these people that are thrown in mental hospitals you get the people that die regularly just because of the situations and stuff. But you have people that may be a little crazy, big people, whatever, even small people. You know, they get violent. They don't do what they're told. You know, you, you try and move them into another room and now you're fist fighting with them. You know, you have somebody who every time you have to deal with them, you're, you're going to blows with them. You know, in a dark mind state it'd be easier for them to fall down the stairs and not ever have to deal with them again. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, I, I feel like a lot of stuff like that, um, is, you know, it happens, you know, in, in the factory, you know, wherever anybody works, there's always people you don't like. It's just the way of the beast. It's the nature of the beast. And you know, who's to say people aren't going to have intentional accidents 
so they're not around anymore. Or let's say somebody's complaining about the bad times, you know, and how they're not being treated the way that they, they should be treated or as good as the previous people treated them. Those people could very, something could accidentally fall on their head and now they're not talking about how bad things are anymore. You know what I mean? It's just a crazy, crazy environment back in the day. I mean, they're, they're the look, yeah. Well, you also have to realize that the factory was a focal point. Now, um, factory at a, quite often at the times used to call them mills, yeah. different types of factories. You had the mill house, the mill houses. There were very small houses built immediately around there, um, all looking pretty much identical, that the workers were shoved in. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like cattle, but these very small basic things were all built around the old factories and mills, and used to call them mill houses, so that you had all of the people that were working in the factory. They were all living immediately around it in this cheap housing. Mm. So the whole area would pick up all of that, all of that energy, all of that frustration, all of what was going on, the focal point being that Miller factory. So it's kind of like a, a, a wheel in the, the spo- in the middle of it. Mm. Uh, is the uh, mill of the factory, and then you get the spokes going out, and those those are all the people living in the tiny uh, mill houses all around it. There are certain places um, I've actually driven by that you can tell. You get down a street, and you notice, and when I say a mill house, these things have like four or five of them are butted up against each other, then a tiny yard, then like three or four or five more against each other, all small, all cottages, all identical, right down. Then you get down the street, and there's either the remains, or in one instance, I can remember uh, a mill that is still going. Yeah. They go, uh huh. There's the mill. There's the mill houses. But most of the time, uh, those houses have been taken down, and now you have the property sold off, and you have uh, residents and more modern homes put on top of those homes. Mm. But that factory of the remains of it's still there still a, a center point for energy. Yeah. Yeah, it's... <clears throat> it's something, that's for sure. Something lurks. We got our next story over here. This is a short one. We It's called The Apple Loving Alien Craft. You know what I mean? <laughs> Who doesn't like a good apple? <coughs> We got um, the deer aren't the only creatures looking for apples in the orchids of Lunenburg. On August 12, 2002, this is a newer one, which is nice. We're getting into the time when we were actually alive. Um, in August 12, 2000, August 12, 2002, a man and his son saw something extraordinary outside of their farmhouse. A UFO. The man's first thought was that he was looking at some sort of cutting-edge device used to spray the orchids, but then the spinning cone-shaped object took a sharp turn and darted away, effectively uh, negating that idea. He and his eight-year-old son visually tracked the object for several minutes, and both agreed that it was three to six feet tall and moved much faster than any aircraft they'd ever seen. The man was able to grab his digital camera, but the object had already moved about a half mile away, so the photographs revealed only a small dot in several frames. However, the triangular shape of the object was apparent, 
when the dot was zoomed in on. No other sightings of that nature were reported that night to the local law enforcement offices. The Federal Aviation Administration or the National Weather Service. Uh, and although the man doesn't know what he saw, he does know what he didn't see. It definitely wasn't a meteor, as he suggested was suggested by some. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to determine that meteors don't hover over apple orchards and dart out erratically. Incidentally, the town of Lunenburg is adjacent to Fitchburg, widely considered to be UFO central of the state of Massachusetts. Um, with that thing, you know, everybody, ever, I think even the even alien life forms would appreciate a good apple from time to time. You know what I mean? Well, you know, if you don't pack enough food, then you just drop in some place and pick up a snack on your journey. And at least it wasn't a human, you know. Uh, yeah, this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, uh, but yeah, I um, I agree with it. I I think this is possible. Uh, there was no, there was really no talk of them eating apples, so it was kind of a, you know, I think that the title was a little, little uh, not truth, no truth in the title there. But yeah, I do believe he probably seen something. Um, now the the whole UFO thing is like it could actually be people from out of space. It could be, uh, you know, governments that have found certain, um, you know, flying objects or minerals and materials from fallen objects, and kind of created their own, you know, kind of testing testing out what what they've created from these things. So like. That, that I, you know, I believe that these UFOs are out there. I just don't know if it is alien, something alien to us, uh, or if it's just kind of something, things that we've kind of created, because uh, we create a lot of things behind the scenes that people aren't supposed to know about, you know, especially COVID-19. <laughs> and um, I think that that might it's very possible instead of gray you know grays running around out of little space out of spaceships which if 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 i found out that was true my mind wouldn't be completely blown you know it's not out of the norm not that's not that far of a stretched idea i feel but uh i'm very you know i'm kind of torn between thinking that it's actual you know gray aliens that we've always known about or if it's just some you know just something maybe our military kind of created or I mean dimensional I'm very the last couple years I've been getting very big into the dimensional aspect of things too where there's all the the different you know like Insomniac touches on our short film we did like it's about a dimensional being that kind of is allowed to be seen because a gentleman's third eye has been opened up wide because of lack of sleep so it's kind of causes his brain to work overload overload in a different way than it regularly does so you can see in the dimensions and uh, you know I've I'm kind of torn between those three things is it you know a dimensional thing but the dimensional thing still can run into the UFO thing because it's it's coming from a different place you know in whether the different places out of out of space or if the different places, uh, you know, a dimension that we don't quite see every day, we don't know about. Um, I almost feel like a more realistic, a more realistic um, point of view would be maybe uh, a military or government crafts that were created um, that we just don't know because we don't, you know, that we don't know, 
we don't exactly know the technology that they hold. You know what I mean? Like, we'll know all the secret stuff they have. We don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was other things or you find out that the technology that, that, that they're dealing with that we don't know about is stuff that they got from maybe a, dim- a dimensional figure. I mean, there, there, there's, there's been talk of science go, trying to break dimensions and go into different dimensions and, uh, you know, trying to make contact with things from different dimensions. So I wouldn't be surprised either way, you know. What's your take on all that? Um, when did the, what was the year on this one here? Uh, the year on this one was 2002. 2002. No, that's too recent. Uh, yeah. okay. <laughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Oh, the only re- the reason I said too recent, I know in the late seventies, there was something that, uh, came down, I think it was in New Hampshire in a lake, caused a big uproar. Uh, I know that Suddenly, the police cordoned it off. The military went in. Um, they left, and they said, oh, never mind. Uh, it's a meteor, and their trucks all left. So if you're looking at uh, if there was something there, then definitely it was uh, – they scooped it out before anybody could do anything. There was a, yeah, one of these days I want to get into an episode. There, I was reading about, like, there was a weird alien invasion type thing in California. I think it was on the West Coast, like – in the 40s or something like that, where a whole bunch of people seen UFOs and it kind of circulated around in the sky and it was they weren't trying to hide themselves and like people kind of had a little freak out where they thought that you know some big big things were about to pop off, but it eventually I think just kind of disappeared. But uh, I'd like to do an episode on that because that's very interesting. Maybe we'll do a mashup with. Behold the pale horse! Uh, Behold the pale podcast with that one, uh, but who knows? But yeah, that's I've, I, I read about that recently, and I, that really kind of shocked me a little bit because you never hear these things. There's these things that are so big that people don't talk about anymore. You know what I mean? Oh uh, yeah, is that the one in California where they actually put the spotlights up on the sky and tried to shoot them down? Yes, yeah, it was like a no. war. It was like a weird war. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Down the it was on the west coast. They 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 came in through like the west coast. Weird, weird stuff. But yeah, I want to tap into that in the future. I mean, if if you take a look at okay, the, to reference fiction, yeah. If you if you take Star Trek and they go into warp, mm-hmm. or even if you take Star Wars when they go into the faster than light, well, it, they seem to disappear from this dimension, mm-hmm. and they would seem to reappear out of another one at the other end. Yeah. Because they're not seen unless you're in that actual warp space. Mm. So if you're looking at traveling, you're looking at coming back, whether it's interdimensional or whether it's great distances, there's a lot of leeway there and a lot of confusion that, that can come out of it. Um, as far as, but it's really which one you want to choose to name it, mm. but it is still there. Yeah. Well, some of the most believable UFO sightings I've ever seen was, um, you know, there was one where, like, it showed, it just, like, disappear. It was there, and then it disappeared, but they slowed down, they slowed down the footage, like, to, like, some crazy, uh, crazy, uh, you know, timing, and you could actually see that it didn't disappear, it just very quickly shot up into the sky, and, I, yeah. Th- yeah, that... And that like blew my mind apart when I seen that. So that that stuff's the, that was the most realistic. And then you have you know 
different things flying around in the sky and stuff. And we've talked before about like when I seen that weird, um, almost like old, like oval. It looked like that old time, old timey helicopter uh, that's all that that was like. Um, it's like a like a cylinder kind of where it was mm-hmm. like a long tube and it had you know different it had like orange green um blue lights on the side and it went over my apartment building and then it went right back and then it came back not turned around it was in the same exact place that it was like it, it, it there was no time there was no time it went over my apartment building I remember it, it felt it sounded like an atomic bomb was coming and I remember I got shook because it was shortly after 9-11 and it just came down and like it, it, it stopped and then it kind of cruised over my building and it disappeared over the tree line and then it came back in the same exact place just like reversed itself pretty much like it went like it like it hit reverse and just came back yeah it, it had that old that old old like elongated helicopter look that they have from like military it looked very military except for the lights were weird because like military wouldn't have multicolored lights like that they they wouldn't want to be military stuff doesn't want to be seen you know what i mean yeah so like yeah so I, I definitely believe in UFOs. I just don't know. We, we I don't know if it's a military government thing or if it's actual, inter, you know, inter interstellar beings or interdimensional beings. But nothing would nothing would blow my mind. Well, you know, you can always say it's a mix of both. It could be. You think they're working together? You think that? I think if, um, if, they were, if, if you talk about the uh, together to to take over the world, then I would have to say. Uh, no, unless you subscribe to the, there are different types. Some of them hostile, and some of them benevolent. You'd have to because they would they would have to be in on the fact that you know certain people that run the show are evil people with evil intentions. And, and I don't think like that. Like that lady said with her abduction, like you know people need to live in love and type stuff. I think that's more realistic, and I feel like that uh, identified UFO uh, alien species would be a little, you know, they'd be, they wouldn't be so easily tricked by these people that are obviously doing evil things, you know what I mean? So like, but who's, but who's to say that there aren't species out there that have gone through the same thing that we have gone through, mm-hmm. where you do have those that are um, the peace and the love, and you do have those that are out there that are also the very negative. Damn. Demonic. It's the argument of, you know, the fact that, that that aliens could be demons, which I know we want to do an episode on that one of these days. That's very interesting stuff. But yeah, it's that's a scary thought. Just knowing that dealing with something, another species like that, that's just as evil as some of us humans. Uh, it's bad enough we got to deal with evil humans. I'd hate to have to deal with alien demons too. Well, I'll, I'll put it out there as a theoretical argument, just so that I won't piss them off in case <laughs> yeah. they're listening. Yeah. Well, they, I'm, not, I'm not saying you are, guys, but... <laughs> I've heard they're big fans of Mostly Ghostly. Yeah, they got us, I'm sure. They're blasting us on the, all, the, uh, all the spaceships in, in space right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
So our next and final story, I think it is, is um, another another inv- alien type thing, another UFO situation. It's called uh, the new. This kind of got me thinking a little bit about that California thing too, but supposedly it was New England. But it's the uh, the New England airship invasion of 1909. Uh, Fitchburg featured prominently in the New England airship invasion of 1909 on December 22nd of that year. More than 30 towns and cities in Massachusetts were visited by UFOs. An estimated 10,000 people throughout New England witnessed a large cigar-shaped aircraft. Cigar-shaped is perfect. That's probably what that's what I was looking for with when I with what I've seen, but um, didn't quite find it. Um, but cigar-shaped aircraft that sometimes zigzagged and sometimes hovered, but at no time acted like any aircraft anyone had ever seen. In downtown Boston, people stopped their wagons and stood in the streets, gaping up in the sky. Apparently, the object followed the train from Boston to Fitchburg, because the next day, the evening-limited steam locomotive made history when it encountered the brazen craft. According to an article in December 24, 1909, Fitchburg Sentinel, like fire, the word went out around uh, that the mysterious airship that startled Worcester the night before was hovering over the city. Over the peak of Rollstone Hill, a wonderfully bright light glowed, and hundreds watched it with wonder, not unmixed with awe. The article continued, The messenger on a train westbound out of Boston first saw the airship at Ayer when it came down from the west to meet the train the messenger is a violent it, it, the messenger is a violent convert to the airship theory he says the powerful light of the ship was played upon the cars of the trains and it followed along until fitchburg was reached then it temporarily disappeared and was not picked up again until the train got up the line and for some time the light played uh, over and around the cars. A self-proclaimed inventor from Worcester, taking advantage of the exceptional situation, claimed to have built the airship, but his statements proved fraudulent. The objects seen were much larger and more technologically advanced than anything that could have been flown in 1909, and the opportunist never produced the so-called aircraft to prove his claim. UFOs have been reported over Fitchburg in nearly every decade since the invasion of 1909, with the 1950s and 1970s being particularly active. Fitchburg's most recent sighting was in 1996, however, in nearby Lunenburg. A father and son saw a UFO over their apple orchard as recently as 2002, as talked about in the previous story, uh, or two previous stories from now. The entire area is still considered active. So, yeah. It, it's almost like that. It's almost like that California thing a little bit with so many people and so many aircrafts, you know what I mean? It's weird. How do you think how do you think society would react to seeing something like that today? You know, it would send everybody into chaos if we had actual spaceships aircrafts that came down that nobody could recognize and they would just 
so many of them in our skies. Oh my goodness, people would it'd be it'd be far greater than you know. You take a situation like what we're dealing with right now, with people going nuts, grocery stores, you know, being emptied out, people you know fighting in grocery stores and just being crazy. And this is just this is just like a, a terrible thing, of course, but that's just like a common thing that we're used to, which is sickness and disease. Uh, if we actually had, if if aircrafts, if, if UFO aircrafts stopped over, like started to hover over towns and cities for a couple days at a time, people would be losing their minds. Oh yeah, they they definitely would. There would be some pro- proclaiming Armageddon. Uh, there would be some that would take it as, you know, the end of the world, some would loot. I mean, there'd be all sorts of things. I think that in society now, there'd be a pretty good number. And um, there's a favorite film of mine, Shin Godzilla. Mm. And there's, there's what's interesting what they do there being set now is that you see when Godzilla's going through, you see people on rooftops with their cell phones filming and other people catch, oh, and I think there's one scene where something's going wrong. Someone says, oh, this is scoop footage. So you'd have a lot of people terrified and everybody else putting it out on the web uh, from the best vantage point. There'd be such a mix of things, but it would be a world gone insane because everything they believe in, uh, particularly how, um, never mind what's the center of our galaxy, we're the center of the universe, once that's blown out, then everything just falls apart. We're not the, we're not it. We're not everything anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting. It would definitely be uh, an eye-opening situation. I think it would definitely uh, it'd be it'd be more more chaos than we have now. Of course, I, I can't think of anything else that would bring more chaos, really, other than people saying. Hey, there's a bomb on its way, and you know, or like a meteor. There's a meteor on its way, and in three days, we're gonna. Everybody's just gonna be dust. That's it. Sorry, guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, they, they would. They'd be the extreme reactions of the people, for instance, throwing themselves off buildings. I mean, and other people praying. Uh, it would go from one extreme to the other, and everything in between. What do you think? What do you think society would do if if we got? If, if if Donald Donald Trump and Stein hopped on hopped on the news, and, you know, and said, "Hey, you know, I feel like everybody should know that we got a comet coming towards us, and you know, we got we got twelve days before it hits. We're trying to find a way to stop it, but things aren't looking good. And uh, God be with you." What do you think? What do you think the world? What do you think would happen? What do you think we would be dealing with? Well, I personally don't think government would ever admit to it. Yeah, you think it would just they just let it happen? They'd let it happen as long as possible while while they shelter in place and think that they can uh, survive. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, You're right. You're right with that. I don't think they'd tell anybody either. It'd be too much chaos. And I think yeah, it would be it would be total chaos. Uh, just, just total chaos. You would be like, why, you'd be like, why are all these high government officials and celebrities? Why, wh- where are they? They're, they're, and then they're underground, <laughs> and they'll, we'll be wondering why everybody's moving underground, and then, you know, eventually we'll get plopped with it, and and uh, 
that would be it. I, I feel like it would be a, run, a free-for-all for themselves. They would take the time. Yeah, they wouldn't tell anybody, and they would just go tr- figure out a way to try and get them and their family underground or wherever they can be. Which, if a comet's coming, I mean, there's not really anywhere you can go. No. They've been talking about them trying to put civilizations on different planets for a while. You know what I mean? For when this one actually does finally die or is destroyed by a comet or something, that they can kind of go to their new existence on some other planet. Uh, they try that. They try to put themselves into computers. I mean, there's just so many scenarios and stories out there. Yeah. Um, that's basically holding on to the body, holding on to the earth. Um, that's, that's ego, not letting go and moving on to the next level of evolution or the next level in your spiritual development. And they're very, they're the same, that's the same attitude that traps people as ghosts. Yeah. They're holding on to power or money or emotion and making this world and what they have in it their center. And it's what's actually, in some respects, uh, in certain areas, bringing the world down or allowing evil into the world. It's that we're focused, it's the me, 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 I got mine, the hell with everybody else attitude. Do you think that if there was a big massive extinction like that, that there would still be ghosts? Or do you think that they would all, everything would just kind of float off into the universe because... There really would be no, there'd be no more, There, even as a ghost, there'd be no more Earth to inhabit, you know what I mean? I think it would be one more cycle. People, um, if you're talking about the ghosts released in another cycle, Mother Earth will continue, will regenerate yeah. in a variety of different forms, uh, probably until, if estimates are correct, about four billion years from now, the sun goes supernova and it becomes a crisp. Mm-hmm. And, and burns on, engulfs the earth. But until that time, it'll just keep going through cycles, whether mankind is here or not. We've been here a short time compared to many other species. And we've just, uh, we just, for now, we're the apex, but, uh, there's no guarantee that's going to happen or continue going on. Yeah. You think a ghost would feel heat? Um, I think it would feel release. Yeah. There would be there would be nothing really here, or the energy here, or anything else here to hold it here anymore. I almost I wonder because if 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 the if the Earth is to eventually burn up to a crisp, if all these you know, if that would be eventually become hell for you know what if what if um you know all these all the spirits left behind and all that you know if it was to be stuck here when something like that happened. You know what I mean? If they would feel, if they would feel, you know, the repercussions of the environment around, around living things. Um, I don't think so because again, that, that is tying the spirit down to the planet Yeah. and not, not releasing the spirit, whether it's another dimension or a higher plane. I don't think the tying it down to earth is, um, really the, eternal goal of the eternal state of spirit I think goes way beyond that yeah it's interesting yeah if the whole world was destroyed though they'd probably get all sucked into the universe 
and join the greater battle between light and dark matter. There you go. The ultimate battle. Yep. She, uh... Well, that, um... We're we're rounding off it, and it's a been an hour and thirty one minutes. So I think we're gonna we'll wrap up this show. Um, that was our central Massachusetts hauntings. You know, we'll be back in a new episode. We might try and break it up with a a different theme, or maybe we'll hit up our uh, the North Shore mass hauntings, uh, which I think falls in line next. Um, or. Um, We'll do a whole different theme and mix it up a little bit, but we'll let everybody wait and find out for themselves when the time comes, when the due time comes. <laughs> yes. So, in closing, we'd like to uh, tell everybody out there, you know, stay happy, stay healthy, you know, be safe. You know, we're still, we're still in the midst of... Uh, the COVID-19 situation. Um, this episode will probably be dropping a week from today. Uh, we just dropped our, our newest episode. the episode, Our first episode based on West, on the book actually came out earlier today with the Western Massachusetts haunt, Western Mass haunts. So we'll probably, you'll probably be getting this. You'll be getting this when you get this, but realistically a week from now, I'd say, is when it'll be coming out. So, by this point, everybody should have listened to the old uh, Eastern Mass- Western Massachusetts. And, with that, we bid you adieu. Ray, thanks for coming on the show again. Always a pleasure. Always enjoyable. It's your show, too, so I shouldn't say come on again, because uh, it is what it is. Another episode in the can. Would you like to say anything in closing? Uh, keep your head up and your mind open. I like it. Very good. All right, folks. We'll catch you all on the next episode of Mostly Ghostly. Have a good one. <laughs>